So today is a day of celebration. It's a day of hope. It is a day of joy. It is a day of peace. And as we just experienced, it is also a day of worship. It's a day that we celebrate because it's the day that we look back with great excitement about the fact our Savior was born. In the next probably 20 minutes or so, I want to do my best to pull out one single word within the Christmas story. It's a small word. It's a word that we often overlook. It's the word behold. Behold. It's a word that finds its place at many of the key verses within the Christmas story. And it's there for a reason. So I want you to consider these three verses. They're going to be on the screen behind me or feel free to go there in your Bibles if you would like. The first was over in Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. This is a passage that takes place about 750 years before the birth of Jesus. And it was one that talked about the anticipated Messiah. And this is what Isaiah said. The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, there's that word. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. Hundreds of years later, when Gabriel, the angel, appeared before Mary in Luke chapter 1, this is what he said. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, there it is again, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and shall name him Jesus. Then when Jesus is born, an angel appeared to the shepherds in the field and said this, do not be afraid for Behold, there's that word again. I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Three different Christmas texts and three different times that word behold is mentioned. The word itself, it simply means to look closely, listen carefully, and pay attention. It's one of those words that we don't use a whole lot these days. In fact, if you're wondering whether or not we use it a lot, just try to work it into a conversation. Behold, I have brought home a gallon of milk. And there's something that just seems wrong about using it in that sense. But it's one of those words that was used often, especially in some of your older Bible translations. For example, in the King James and the Geneva Bible, it's used over 1,200 different times. And over the years, the word has been replaced with look or see. And those are absolutely a parts of beholding. But here's the thing. I think we've actually missed something by trying to simplify the word. You lose a little of the urgency. You, you lose a little of the intended purpose behind it. When was the last time we stopped and gave our attention to just any one thing? In a world of multitasking, where it almost you feel guilty for not doing three things at any given moment in time, in some ways we've almost lost our ability to just stop and to behold anything. So this morning, I'm going to do my best to encourage you to work on your beholding skills for about 15 minutes. In fact, I want us to look closely. I want us to listen carefully. I want us to pay close attention to the angel's announcement. So here's this text once again. The angels appear before the shepherds in the field and they say, do not be afraid for behold, 
I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. Uh, that phrase, good news, it is one of the most exciting phrases. It's one that's used the most often by Luke. In fact, he uses it more than any of the other gospel writers. This good news produces great joy, and this great joy will be for all the people. So what exactly is this good news for all the people? He tells you in the text. There has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. In fact, in that one announcement, there's three different titles that are given to Jesus. He is called Savior, he is called Christ, and he is also called Lord. Each title portrays a different part of his life as well as a different part of his mission. As Savior, he will save his people from their sins, Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. There's only two places in your Gospels where you find the word Savior referring to Jesus. One time is right here. The other time is over in John 4, 42. The word Savior, it speaks of Jesus as deliverer, as preserver, as one who makes alive, and one who frees others from evil and sin. The next word that is used of Jesus is Christ. The Greek word for Christ, it means anointed one, the anointed one. It's the, the Greek equivalent for the Hebrew word Messiah. So in ancient times, there were three types of people who were anointed. It was prophets, it was priests, and it was also kings. But Jesus is referred to as the anointed one. In other words, he is one who is spoken of in all three capacities. He is the ultimate prophet, he is the ultimate priest, and he is also the ultimate king. According to what we find in Revelation chapter 17, verse 14, Jesus is the king of kings. He is God's ultimate high priest, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, and he is God's final and greatest prophet, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Then there's that other word, Lord. When the word Lord is used in reference to Jesus, it conveys all that is implied with the Hebrew name Yahweh. That's a word that is spoken of many times over within the Old Testament. Jesus is the supreme. He is the eternal. He is the self-existent being. He is the ruler of heaven and earth. A proper translation of that particular word would simply be, I am, I exist. One of the most basic, and I do mean basic, confessions of Christianity is Jesus is Lord. We find that over in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3. I want you to just take that information and let's bring it all back together. The angel says, behold, look closely, listen carefully, pay full attention to what's about to be said. There has been born for you this day in the city of David a savior, the one who delivers, the one who makes alive, the one who frees people from evil and sin. Who is Christ? He is God's anointed prophet, priest, and king. The Lord. He is the supreme, eternal being who alone answers to the name I am. The angel is basically saying, behold, God is here. And that is exactly what was prophesied through Isaiah and repeated to Joseph in a dream over in Matthew chapter 1. That is, the virgin will be with child and shall bear a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. 
Now let's pause for just a moment. We, we see Emmanuel pops up on Christmas cards and we see it mentioned in scripture, but this word Emmanuel is about identity and proximity. That is, he is God and he is with us. That's important because we need to know who he is and we need to know where he is. He, he is not just the God in the heavens. He is not just the God of our fathers. He is not just the God of the past, but rather he is God with us. That is good news for all people. Now listen again to the angel's announcement. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Here's what that angel is saying. Stop what you're doing and focus on what's about to be said. Pay close attention to this. Don't, don't let this slip past you. God is here. Messiah is here. The Savior is here. Now, it is hard for us to convey the impact that those words would have had to the original audience. For you and I, we look back at the Savior who has come, and we also look with anticipation for the Savior who's coming again. But when the original statement was given to this group, it was all forward. They were waiting. They were longing. They were anticipating. They, they were on the edge of their seat like, when will he come? When will Messiah arrive? When will the anointed one finally step onto the world scene? I love how King David captures a part of that anticipation over in Psalm 24. It's going to sound like I'm bringing two stories together, but give it a moment. I promise they're going to merge again. In Psalm 24, here's what he said. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Now, David called this expected one the king of glory. What an appropriate title for Messiah. A person's glory described who they were and the influence they have as well as the weight of their office. But in that same text over in Psalm 24, you find in verse number 8 that David doesn't know who the king of glory is. And he even brings that up as a question. He says, who is this king of glory? We're waiting, we're anticipating, we see different things that will describe who he's going to be, but they didn't know yet who he was. But listen, when he says, who is this king of glory? Here's what he's saying. Who is this anointed one? Who is the one who is unsurpassed in glory? Who is the one unsurpassed in riches and in power and in reputation? And since he didn't know for sure, he just begins to describe him. He says, he is the Lord, strong and mighty. He is the Lord, mighty in battle. He is the Lord of hosts. Three different times, he connects the Lord with the king of glory. Now remember, when the word Lord is used within that context, it's speaking of you, the self-existent eternal God. Here's the picture that's starting to take place. Who is the king of glory? He's the Lord. He is God. Now, this brings about a, a, a sense of, of beauty when you recognize the fact that the word glory and God are constantly connected through the Hebrew Scriptures. God alone is called the God of glory, Psalm chapter 29, verse 3. He is great in glory, Psalm 138, verse 5. 
The heavens tell of his glory, Psalm 19, verse 1. The whole earth is full of his glory, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8. He is the king of glory. Now, take that whole story and let's bring it over into the New Testament. When the angels announce Jesus' birth, it says the glory of the Lord shone around them. When they sang their song, what was the song? Glory to God in the highest. Luke chapter 2, verse 9. David's question here is profound. Who is the king of glory? In the New Testament, the angels say, he's Jesus. It's Jesus. That, that infant that is in a manger is not helpless. He's the king of glory. He's the savior of the world. He is the ultimate prophet, priest, and king. He is the creator of the universe. Literally, that baby that was sitting in the manger at his word, at his word, he draped the skies in darkness and he tossed out the stars into space. At his word, the oceans were contained. The mountains are formed. Color exploded on the canvas of the earth. At his word, every living creature caught his breath. That is not just a baby in the manger. That is the king of glory. He is Emmanuel. The story of Christmas is far more than about mangers and about wise men and about gifts. It's about far more than that. It's about the fact the king of glory has come. Is it any wonder that the Angels, three different times, they say, behold, behold, behold. Stop what you're doing and pay attention. Behold, take him all in. Listen to what's about to be proclaimed. The king of glory is here. Behold, pay full attention to what's happening. This is a moment like no other moment because he is a king like no other king. According to what we find in Scripture, one day every knee will bow before this king. Now I want you to personalize this announcement. If we listen to what was said of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, personalize it. Here's what that means. It means God came for us. Personalize it even more. It, it means God loved you and I so much. He came for us. He's not forgotten you. He has not forsaken you. He came for you. He's got a plan for you. This plan, it wasn't just a Christmas story. The Christmas story is a part of the bigger redemptive plan of God. The story is one that we're familiar with. It's the gospel story. It's simply this. Humanity was created for a relationship with God. Our sin separated us from that relationship, and there was nothing that we could ever do to make things right ourselves. Now, if the story ended there, we don't get together and celebrate a day like Christmas. If the story ended there, the Bible would only remind us of what we have missed, of what we did wrong, and how eternity will forever testify of our sin and remind us of our guilt. But the story doesn't end there. According to what the story tells us, you and I could not work our way back to God and make things right with him, but God worked his way to us and made things right on our behalf. 
He laid aside the splendor of heaven. He clothed himself in flesh, and he came in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus did what you and I could never do. He lived a sinless life. He died as a substitute for our sin. He rose from the dead three days later that you and I might experience life, and he offers eternal life, a reconciled relationship to those who repent of their sin by placing faith in Jesus Christ. That is good news for all people. People, no one has been so bad that he cannot save them. And no one has been so good that they do not need to be saved. It is good news for all people. For the person who places faith in what Jesus has done for them, they get a chance to step into their created purpose. They were made to know their creator. And Jesus is saying, I am the only way to make that possible. For that person who repents of their sin by placing faith in Jesus, he forgives our sin debt. (laughs) I don't know about you, that's good news for me. Listen, if there's ever a reason to celebrate, it's the fact that God does not eternally hold our sins against us. But rather because he came on our behalf and because he did what he did for us, you and I get a chance to celebrate knowing that our past does not define us, but our future is secure in Christ. That's reason to celebrate. For that person, listen, there is nothing that can separate them from the love of God. Nothing that can separate them from the love of God. Listen, this story, when you understand what Jesus has done, when you have had that personal relationship with him, it's no longer a Christmas story out there. It's a personal story about how the king of glory is ruling and reigning in here. It's a reason to celebrate. I know Every, every person, especially believers, usually have some type of Christmas tradition. A lot of times they're with family and friends and there's meals and there's gifts that are exchanged. And it's wonderful to have those experiences. But in the midst of everything you're doing today, can I encourage you? Take the time to behold your king. At some point, I'm going to encourage you, Pull away from all the noise, pull away from all the distraction, and sit with your king. That's going to mean stepping away from the TV. You've watched 3,000 Hallmark movies already. Chances are there's not another one out. It's going to mean stepping away from the table a little bit, and I know we love some good food. But it is important to pay full attention to listen carefully, to look closely, to pay full attention to the fact that our Savior has been born. As we close out this morning, I don't know where everybody is in this room when it comes to do you know him personally or not. But I could not imagine a greater time to give people that opportunity than on Christmas morning. So I'm just going to ask you, if you would, just bow your heads for just a moment. His heads are bowed, eyes are closed. You've heard the Christmas story. You've heard the gospel today. 
There's going to be people in this room, I guarantee you, with a crowd of this size. There are people that are here from out of town. There are people that, that maybe you've heard parts of it, but you never knew how it connected with you. But when I'm describing the fact that you can step into your created purpose of knowing God, when I describe the fact that he will forgive your sin debt, that he doesn't hold your past against you, that is something that in your mind is appealing. Now again, that's not going to be this case for everyone. There's going to be some people that they're going to hear that story and they're going to think, that's not for me. But I'm talking specifically right now to the person who's in the room that's saying, I need what he's talking about. And if that's the case, I'm going to lead in a very simple prayer. I tell people all the time, I cannot save you. This church cannot save you. Praying a prayer is not going to save you. Jesus has done everything that is necessary for a person to be saved. We are simply agreeing with God with what he has done for us. So here's what that would look like for the person who has a desire to step into a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. In your heart, just before God, I would encourage you to pray this. God, I know that I have sinned. And I know that my sin has separated me from you. There's nothing that I could do to make things right. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. That he rose again three days later. And as best I know how, I place faith in what Jesus has done for me. Would you give me eternal life? With heads bowed, eyes closed still. I don't know who prayed with me at that moment, but I would love to rejoice with them. So wherever you might be in the room, just for a moment, if you prayed with me at that time to place faith in Jesus, would you just lift your hand wherever you might be for just a moment? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, thank you. You may put them down. In just a moment, there's going to be pastors and some of the pastor's wives at the front. And basically, we, we want to encourage people this morning. If you would like to know more about what that relationship with God looks like, come talk to one of the pastors. If you would like somebody to pray with you this morning, we want to encourage that as well. If there's a need that you have that, that you feel like we might be able to help you with, please Take this opportunity and just kind of share it with one of the pastors who's at the front. We're going to have a final word of prayer, and then there'll be a final song that is sung, and then everybody will be released to go home to be with family and friends and to enjoy what an incredible celebration Christmas really is. But I'm grateful this morning that God is still changing lives, especially on Christmas morning. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, we praise you, we give you glory. God, you alone are the king of glory. You alone are worthy of all praise. And God, we're grateful. In Jesus' name, amen.